Welcome to the Sidious Playground podcast by Leadership Foundations. I'm Rick Enlow, and I'm here with Dave Hillis. And Dave, we are going to dive further into Eucharistic leadership. And tell me about which movement we're in right now. Yeah, Rick, we are in our second movement. Um, we've obviously talked about Taken here over the last uh, podcast. And uh, today we are going to be talking with Sarah Melchior about the whole idea of what does it mean to be blessed and blessed as a response to uh, the provisional nature of, of the way most leadership is, uh, is being shaped. And if you're listening to this feature link podcast without listening to the Whispercast, you might want to hit pause and go back and uh, spend 10 minutes to catch up because we did talk about uh, the movement of being blessed. We talked about sort of the uh, uh, some of the things Jesus talked about in the mm -hmm. Sermon on the Mount and uh, the Beatitudes. And so we kind of teed it up and, uh, and lean into this, this so that uh, people could have context. But mm -hmm. uh, this particular uh, uh, podcast is going to feature um, a conversation with Sarah. And uh, why would we want to talk to her, Dave? Well, Sarah has, uh, uh, again, for a number of years, I think, really uh, taken her leadership and not only contributed to leadership foundations, a local leadership foundation called the Northwest Leadership Foundation, but has done so in the educational sphere as well. And I think she has a, a particular understanding of what it means to be blessed, not as something that, um, you know, behold, look at all these nice things that are happening to me but a much more honest and I think candid look at what it means to be blessed in the midst of life at times that is not always looking so blessed. Yeah, and now one of the things we're gonna ask her about is this idea of a provisional blessing. Mm -hmm. We're gonna use some language like, like if then and you know, then therefore. Touch on that for a second so when she talks about that we kinda know what she's saying. Yeah, I mean, we, uh, we, we really are seeing uh, Eucharistic leadership, Rick, as a, a, a response to what we kind of describe as, as the four P's of, of leadership that is, is not helpful, at least mm -hmm. in the city as a playground. Um, the first is that taken as a response uh, to this idea of possessing. Mm -hmm. um, that, yeah, uh, you got to grab the thing and exactly. you know, take hold. Yeah. Yep. And, and you're now through uh, Eucharistic leadership allowed to kind of just relax in and know the fact that someone has taken you, mm -hmm. um, done something to you, for you, before you've ever decided anything. Um, if you jump down to broken, uh, broken is actually a response to leadership uh, that is always pivoting around performance, right? Mm -hmm. You know, trying to get, you know, do, 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 and, and, and broken again moves us away from that and says it's not about performance. It's about, you know, uh, being available, uh, being open. Mm -hmm. um, the last movement uh, is, is one of given, and that's actually a response uh, to this notion of power. You know, that everyone thinks that leadership is holding on to power. Yeah. And the whole idea of Eucharistic leadership is no, it's, it's actually giving it away. Mm -hmm. So specifically then, as it relates to blessed, uh, what it is dealing with is this whole notion of provisional, um, that, that everything is provisional. You're only as good, you know, as your last performance. Mm -hmm. And we, we characterize that, Rick, as living in a world of if then, you know, if mm -hmm. this thing happens, then you can kind of, you know, pass, go and collect 200. Right, right. And what blessed leadership does uh, is step in and says, no, it's because of who you are. So it's a, it's a natural extension of being taken. Right? Sure. If you're taken, then your natural resting heart rate uh, is a sense of blessed. Mm -hmm. um, I, can, I can inhale and exhale. You know, I don't have to have my heart rate get up. Mm -hmm. um, and so that, that's what we're going to talk about uh, with Sarah is, is, you know, as a le leader that's blessed, what does that look like to move from an if-then worldview to a because-therefore? Yeah, and it's certainly in a city, uh, as uh, leadership foundations are at work in uh, over 40 cities in the world, mm -hmm. not everybody's on this page. So, for <laughs> instance, you know, you could be, a, <laughs> you know, uh, someone who is saying, hey, listen, you know, uh, I, I understand yeah. being blessed, you know, is, is, you know, related to not grabbing and holding and performing. And, and, yeah. and yet you, we're, we're in a lot of different meetings and a lot of different uh, um, settings with folks who 
you know, are sort of what we would call like traditional Western mm-hmm. leadership thinkers. So that's going to be, I think, really important to sort out. Yeah, and, and actually maybe because I think you bring up a great point. Um, absolutely are we living in a, you know, cities where that's not um, at play. And, you know, what we're going to get from Sarah is the very honest, you know, unvarnished reality that we ourselves don't live out of that because they're yeah. for very often. And so if we want to figure out what's wrong with the world, as G.K. Chesterton said, <laughs> you know, all yeah, you yeah. have to do is say, I need to look at me. Yeah. And so I think that's a part of the conversation as yeah. well. Yeah, well, I'm looking forward to that. Well, let's get her on the line and, Absolutely. Uh, and we'll uh, have a chat. Well, hey, Sarah, how you doing? I'm pretty good this morning, Rick. Thanks. Listen, thanks so much for uh, joining the podcast. And we uh, want to open up with a question uh, uh, about the big idea, which is Eucharistic leadership. And uh, those of you who are listening will remember in the Whispercast that we laid out uh, what Eucharistic leadership is. And so if you can't remember, uh, you can always go listen to uh, one of our short little Whispercasts and kind of catch, catch up and get up to speed. But Sarah, you have a leadership experience in public education, LF, and a host of other arenas. Um, why do you think the general concept of leadership is so important today? Um, well, first, I just want to say thanks for having me be part of this conversation. And I um, have some experiences, but I don't feel like I come from a place of extreme experience. So um, I'm interested in these types of conversations because I feel like I'm still learning. Um, so it's really helpful for me to think aloud with others. And so um, this is another one of those opportunities where I get to engage in that further thinking aloud. Um, leadership to me is really helping others be their best selves. Um, mm-hmm. Whether really you're a, you're a kindergartner or you're a, you're a peer, um, it's it's walking alongside each other and uh, be the best selves that we can be together. And I think we're all leading on some scale. Um, and I think good leadership helps us um, find our voice, learning about our strengths, um, take risks in our weaknesses, um, or even just help us recognize our place as a member of the greater community. Unfortunately, I think poor leadership can be about oppression. So I think it's important to think about leadership to keep it from being that way and help us help each other be our best selves in our community and our togetherness. And now what, when you say uh, poor leadership uh, can be about oppression, what do you mean by that? Can you expand on that for me? Yeah, I think poor leadership can become about the person who has that place of power and um, essentially not recognizing the value of those around them in their community. Um, and so using um, their position of power, not so much about raising the others up, but about uh, accumulating more power. So it becomes oppressive to the followers or those that are walking with them. Um, and I think good leadership actually causes the reverse. Yeah, and, and I, I see what you're saying for sure, because, uh, yeah, there are, we have examples, I'm sure all of us are thinking right now of people that... Um, you know, where it's all about them versus about, you know, the endeavor or the people they're leading. Um, yeah. And, you know, the me.com thing that happens in some organizations, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now when you think about Eucharistic leadership, um, you know, how does that idea helped you at, at the Leadership Foundation? Uh, well, I'm a fairly concrete, sequential, cause and effect kind of minded person. And so Really, the paradigm shift for me um, was when we discussed that Eucharistic um, leadership or the Eucharist is both a moment as well as a process, uh-huh. and um, that, that the verbs themselves can be happening at the same time, they can overlap, they can happen out of order, or they can really just be happening one at a time. So, like, I mean, on a very tangible level, we take the bread and the wine, and that is an action in a moment, and yet in our lives we are also in this Eucharistic process. We are becoming. Mm -hmm. Um, We repeat things. We circle back. Um, So Eucharistic leadership, you know, it has to have this space um, of the Holy Spirit to be present. Um, And being concrete sequential, I think it has reminded me to create space, because the Eucharist isn't Eucharist if the mystery and the Holy Spirit are removed. Yeah, no, that's true. I, I think in our sort of present culture, I think about a lot of books that I see um, and that I've reviewed a few of them that are really all about being in the moment, you know, because like people are kind of always in the process instead of the moment. But then, like you say, you can't really just do that either because we are involved, you know, uh, in the process. So uh, I think that's what you're that's what you're commenting about. And I think, um, 
you know, the, the action uh, of the Eucharist is, I think, something that, uh, you know, we've been focusing on through this whole uh, this sort of journey through Eucharistic leadership. Dave, w- uh, what do you have to add on that? <laughs> well, Sarah, again, it's, uh, it is great to hear you, uh, and thanks for, for being on this. Um, you know, as, as uh, you, know, you, of course, are well aware, we uh, as an LF staff uh, and, and really as a board this year have been looking at the Eucharistic shape of leadership and that that shape actually has four uh, kind of movements to it. Um, actions might be another way to describe it. Uh, we obviously talk about the whole idea of what it means to be taken, uh, what it means to be blessed, what it means to be broken, and what it means to be given. And of course, we are talking with you specifically about this second movement uh, of Eucharistic leadership, uh, which is, is what does it mean to be blessed? Um, one of the things that I know we've talked about, and maybe just to remind our listeners, <clears throat> is that you know, we really believe the Eucharistic shape of leadership uh, is a response um, to a kind of leadership uh, that oftentimes takes place in the world that isn't helpful. So, for example, in the case of being taken, uh, you know, we see that this is a response to much of the world who sees leadership as possessing. So the difference between being taken versus one possessing. You know, in the case of being blessed, we really think that this is an answer uh, to leadership uh, that oftentimes sees the whole uh, transaction as one one of provision or being provisional. And part of the way we've said that, of course, is that the provisional nature of leadership is if-then. If you do this, uh, if you say this, uh, if you join in this way, uh, then uh, I will give you my good graces, I will bless you, I will uh, help you. Uh, and that that gets actually replaced uh, when you begin to think about the whole idea of blessed uh, and Eucharistic leadership as because therefore. And I think that really is a, a significant game changer. Um, and so I would love, uh, Sarah, for you just to reflect a little bit and why do you think this shift is so critical in our leadership in the world today? Um, the interesting thing for me, Dave, was when we first started discussing um, the word blessed or the question, what does it mean to be blessed? Um, for me, it was actually um, still in the idea of a provisional mm-hmm. um, uh, paradigm. And so to me, it was a great example of what really happens when you move from that if-then paradigm into a because-therefore paradigm. Um, Most of the time I feel like I hear blessed or I think about blessed in that if-then lens. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, if I have these things, then I am blessed. Um, And for many, and it was true for me, feeling blessed wasn't far from feeling loved from God. And so that really showed Hmm. um, the danger of the if-then lens. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not that if-then in our world doesn't have its place. Much of our world is a cause and effect. If you do this, then you will get this. But the problem or the danger that I was really encountering and why the paradigm shift became so important was that that, that lens of the if-then was equating value. It was, it was equating being loved. Um, and so it became critical for me to really be able to see blessed in a because therefore lens so in leadership in an interaction with people um, it affects how we see and value the people and our circumstances of our community and ourselves Um, and as a person claiming christian values and ethics i really feel like it's my responsibility to move away from that if then value to a because therefore value system Um, and it's not easy Uh, it's very challenging when you're working with people and um, systems Uh, i have definitely encountered the way that the systems try to reduce down humanity to numbers, scores, demographics, resumes, report cards, job titles. And that becomes a real top-down way of seeing and moving as a leader, and it it really reduces down the value. And so in that because, therefore, paradigm, almost instantly for me, um, humanity takes on a new texture. And it's challenging, but but it's an important um, transition. so and it and it changes my t- my tetheredness with the community. That even mm-hmm. becomes different. Yeah, that's great. Um, 
you know, <clears throat> maybe we'll take a different, uh, deeper slice of this, Sarah, but uh, how have you found yourself learning uh, and, and what maybe things are at play in your life that have moved you from this if-then kind of conditional, provisional reality to a uh, uh, because therefore, um, how, how is that movement uh, taking place in you? Um, I think part of that has been encountering some pretty blunt ways where the if then um, is is confronting me um, with how we look at people. And I think the best example I can give is really when I um, encountered um, in the school system. Uh, how we started viewing students through test scores. Mm -hmm. um, and all of a sudden, we weren't looking at them as students. We mm. were literally looking at them as numbers. And their values became not that they were students and humans who were developing, but they became valued based off of that, that number. And that was probably one of my first real blatant, um, in my face, am I going to nod and lean into this if-then value system, mm -hmm. or am I going to pause and try and find an alternative way to enter the discussion in a more of a because-therefore value system? That's, uh, that's beautifully said. I just, uh, again, as you talk, I'm thinking about, you know, in my life, um, this stark reality between those uh, that I have worked with where we are living in this reality of the if then and I, I feel it intensely um, I even think about my work here at leadership foundations and how easy it is uh, to fall into that uh, as it relates to the board of directors or staff and uh, each week you know it's like well if I do these things then I can report this and uh, you know the grace of God will will show up and move me away from what uh, is just this this really tough place at times to because um, I am uh, the president of the Leadership Foundations and working in this way, therefore, these things can happen. And it, it might seem subtle, but uh, I think, as you said, once you've experienced it, it is, uh, it is remarkably liberating. Well, I know. Yeah, I mean, go ahead. For me, even simple things, you know, of the, if you respect me, then I will respect you. And um, that's kind of a common phrase you might hear mm -hmm. in any community, but definitely in schools. And, um, you know, the because therefore it can be reworded to because you're a part of my community, therefore I will respect you. And that is a really different um, expectation and connectedness that lens versus the if then. Mm -hmm. Go ahead, Rick. Also, I think, don't you think, Sarah, um, like in the spiritual sense that uh, at least I was raised with an idea that um, if I'm a good person or, you know, I do the right stuff, then I will be blessed, you know, so that, you know, uh, that's kind of what we're always, you know, in, in the church context, we're always like, hey, bless me, Father, you know, I mean, something, do something good for me. And then, you know, you read um, sometimes what um, Richard Rohr writes or you know, where, where he talks about uh, you know, the only way we really experience blessing is to, you know, fall, like fall upward. I mean, it's it's kind of like the connection with brokenness. You know, it, we wish it could be separate. But I, I think what you said was so profound because uh, recently we we're talking about what a difference it makes when you do something from love or from being loved than to do something for love. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like a transaction in yeah. one sense, you know, and uh I don't know. I think, is that what you're saying? Yeah. I mean, I think the transactional piece is um, really embedded in the if then. And, and at least for me, it's um, probably embedded in my Sunday school um, teaching from, you know, back when I was a kid. I mean, even down to the, if I do the right things, then God will love me. Right. Um, and I, I want God to love me, um, which is, which is why the question of being blessed, um, was a real challenge of a question because the first time it was asked I was hearing it in an if-then lens mm -hmm. and so part of my challenge became even though we're talking about blessed is the transition from being provisional it was a challenge to me to even ask the question about blessed in a because therefore yeah. kind of manner of yeah. because God is good therefore I am loved 
it's it's not transactional. Mm-hmm. It's not something I have to earn. It is already just because of who God is, because of who this person is who's taken me. That's great, Sarah. Well, that's a that's a great segue uh, into my next question. And again, maybe a little bit of context for our listeners. Um, and you, of course, have had a chance to participate in this for the last couple of years. But you know, each year we uh, we take on a theme of leadership, um, and then we spend uh, every staff uh, meeting each week. Uh, rotating uh, the uh, responsibility of, of people giving a different reflection, a devotion, uh, whatever that theme uh, is of, of that week. And it was really a, a few weeks ago uh, when we were looking at the whole issue of, of what it means to be blessed that it was actually your turn uh, up at the plate to uh, to give uh, our staff uh, an opportunity to you know, again, just think a bit about what does it mean to be blessed. But what was particularly poignant about the time with you, Sarah, was, of course, that, you know, you were being asked to reflect on what it means to be blessed uh, in the midst, you know, of a time of your life where there were just a number of variables that I think anybody would be hard-pressed to look at them and say, ah, Sarah is being blessed. And so I at least found myself being particularly moved by your reflection of thinking about blessed um, in the midst of at times what, you know, uh, were things that just did not look like blessings. And part of the reason I think that's so important for Leadership Foundation work is that, you know, we're in 40 plus cities around the world and in some very tough communities, you know, facing some very tough issues. So for us to be able with any integrity to go into those places, to begin to see the city become a playground rather than a battleground, um, we have to answer the question of, you know, what does it mean to be blessed when you have a lot of things in your life that don't look like blessings? And so, you know, with that, uh, Sarah, we'd just love to have you uh, reflect a bit of that and how you raised it here a few weeks ago. and and how you can help us, again, think clearly about this moving forward. Yeah, um, I definitely wasn't excited about the question. Um, I was really quite nervous to have to um, think aloud um, because I wasn't sure I was going to have an answer because I was um, definitely in a place of emotional, physical, and spiritual pain when Mm. we started asking this question about what does it mean to be blessed during LS staff time. Mm -hmm. And the popular answers that quickly just kind of popped up in my head were actually only adding to the pain. Um, the, the way that I was responding to the question in my initial reaction, um, they weren't comforting. Um, they weren't hopeful. They weren't yeah. helping. Um, and so being in that space, um, I both kind of try to ask the question a little different, or mm-hmm. at least I tried to hope that maybe the answers that were defaulting that there would be a different answer, that there would be another way to see answers that could arise. Mm-hmm. And so, because if being blessed was just about being fortunate, then being blessed by God didn't mean much different than being blessed by the world. And I was in circumstances where I wasn't feeling blessed um, by the traditional definitions. Um, the world was betraying and abandoning me, and I was hoping that that wasn't true with God. Mm. And so I was in these circumstances where I was asking the question of blessed, as I said, in an, in an if-then way, and it was causing me more pain. And so I was pretty desperate to have God's vocabulary mean something different from the world's vocabulary. Um, I was needing um, to see blessed in a because-therefore lens. Hmm. And so I kind of stumbled into this self-dialogue, um, hopefully it was with the Holy Spirit, um, that if we are taken by God and God is good— um, then being blessed could be more than my circumstances. Hmm. So could it be that how we see, no matter how our circumstances are, that being blessed by God um, was this opportunity? It was, an, it was an opportunity to transform being blessed into an opportunity. So it was an opportunity to cultivate and to see the holy in all circumstances. Hmm. And I don't just mean being positive, like mm-hmm. the glass is half full. Because mm-hmm. um, that, for me, in my circumstances, was even 
a little crushing when people would try and like, hey, let's look on the bright side. And it, and it was even <laughs> a little insulting and, and mm-hmm. caused more hurt. Um, what I meant was I needed to see the holy. I needed to see holiness. I needed to see that God's economy was not our temporal if-then economy. Mm. Um, I needed that um, God to be in all things. I really needed to grab onto that Roman scripture that nothing separates us. And um, so if if blessing, if being blessed was the opportunity to see the holy, then even in these devastating moments, seasons, times, um, that if that's what I was getting offered the chance to do, that was at least some hope. And it was definitely a hope that contrasted the idea of being in pain with no option to see the holiness. Mm. Um, And so it clicked for me that blessed could now be because we are taken, that we have this option to see holiness, no matter what our worldly circumstances were. Mm -hmm. Um, And that that created a different kind of um, even blessing for me. It it created a little bit of, of an opportunity to give blessing in the sense of giving gratitude. Um, and it, it, it only happened in these just half breaths in the midst of the pain that I was in, mm-hmm. but it was creating hope that the world wasn't offering. Um, mm. And it did mean that God was not abandoning me um, in my circumstances, and it gave me a different idea of how God, God might work, that he wasn't quite as transactional mm-hmm. as maybe I was thinking the, if God gives you these things, then you're blessed. Um, previously, you know, it. Uh, I think that's just a very articulate response to what I think is a question that a lot of people wrestle with, and it reminds me of this uh, experience I had a number of years ago, and was going through my own uh, painful moment to be sure, and I was out. Actually, you remember my my prayer partner, Clover, uh, who you were quite close to, uh, my, my Labrador dog, and we were getting ready to, to walk, and I was going to pray with him, and right prior to that, uh, in light of the situation I was in, I had just received a card from what was no doubt a well-intentioned, well-meaning person, and of course it was the classic Hallmark card, which was, you know, when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. And I remember this card absolutely just setting off in me this, you've got to be kidding me. Um, so I'm getting ready to go out on my walk with Clover. And I, you know, kid you not, I think Clover looks at me. And I have this moment. And the moment is, um, you know, when you think about life as, you know, life gives you lemons, now make lemonade, that that is a if-then. And what would happen if there's actually redemption goodness in the lemon itself regardless of what it becomes and you know now this is of course fanciful but i think clover even kind of barked at me a little bit and said okay you finally got it and we began our walk and and actually had a a pretty glorious time but i i think what you just described sarah uh reminded me of that experience and i Again, think about the the book of Isaiah where there's this really interesting verse that talks about treasures out of darkness. Um, And there's a number of different ways to translate the Hebrew, treasures out of darkness, treasures from darkness. But interestingly enough, the Hebrew actually allows you, and this becomes now, you know, almost scandalous, to translate it as treasures in darkness. Uh, and the use of that preposition is, I think, a bit of what you're getting after. That changes everything. Um, so, again, thank you for that uh, that wonderful reflection. Yeah, you know, Sarah, I, I want to thank you too, but I, it caused me when you were talking about that to think about in, when Jesus uh, in the Beatitudes starts talking about, you know, blessing. And they're really, they're not if-then kinds of statements. You know, uh, you'll be blessed you know, in the, the poverty of your spirit and blessed, you know, when, when you are mourning and, you know, it's just very interesting how that, that the Beatitudes don't really make sense. Like you said, in, um, sort of contemporary terms, but I love that idea that, you know, the vocabulary of, uh, the Eucharist is, is, um, it's transformational. And, and when you talk about, uh, seeing the holy, what is, Help me with what that means to you. You know, in other words, instead of looking for, 
you know, like a payoff or a transaction, you said it's, it's a possibility to, to see, um, holy, right? Mm -hmm. What do you mean by that? I think I'm still discovering a lot what that means, Rick. I wish I had a good concrete, um, answer to give you. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, uh, it kind of goes back to, um, maybe that first question we dialogued about, which is, you know, what's leadership and, um, I think the holy allows me to to be myself, and yeah. sometimes pain, um, uh, especially public pain, can can really cause us to um, to recoil or um, uh, disengage. And um, I think when I would say that I, you know, you're seeing the holy is that it it has this ability to have you breathe in moments where you probably shouldn't be able to breathe. Mm-hmm. Um, it helps you have hope in moments where you probably by all definitions shouldn't have hope. Um, and it, it increases your sense of not just who you are, but, but who God is. And, um, it, it probably creates freedom. Yeah. Um, and so it, it, it is a, it's mysterious to me. I, I wish I could kind of put it in a box and then reach for it every time I feel like I need it. Uh, but I, I don't know it quite well enough um, to be able to give you a clear definition. Um, but I, I think for me, it, it's um, yeah, it's about that m- mysterious thing of um, accepting me as I am, mm-hmm. allowing me to be more of, of who I want to be, and and those around. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, even connecting back to your beatitudes, you know, it doesn't necessarily change me, but it. it it doesn't make the mourn not mourning, but it adds to, to the value that, that then they'll be comforted. Right, right. You're right. I think um, what what I hear you saying is that it, I think it is remarkable when you when you see someone and they're not diminished by their circumstance. They're you know you think this person should just about be you know reaching you know a point of uh, you know, almost zero, and then and you're not. To me, that that's when I see the blessing. It's almost like uh, I don't know if you're familiar with a book by Gerald Sitzer called um, uh, "Grace Disguised." But Gerald was a, a professor in uh, Eastern Washington at a small university. Yeah, and he uh, he had a, there was a car accident that that took his wife, his daughter, and his mom at the same time. And so he wrote this book, but his his book is not a an if-then kind of book, which has really been helpful to me because he talks about how um, the grief uh, stretched his soul, if you will, uh, beyond the capacity that he thought he had, you know. I mean, he didn't think he could feel um, what he was feeling at the scope that he was feeling it, but also what he realized is that, that be- when, when something like that uh, stretches you, it also stretches the other rooms in the house, you know. So the capacity for wonder and for joy and all that. And so it's very interesting and honest uh, treatise on on being blessed in a circumstance that, you know, certainly seems like anything but a blessing. So uh, like Dave was mentioning now, when you when you're in a time like you're describing or any one of us is in it, uh, how, uh, you know, how do you push through? I mean, what is there anything that, you know, you're learning about, um, you know, sort of living in that space uh, that's sort of the space of the Eucharist leadership kind of space? Um, Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that I'm learning is to um, re-teach myself um, old voices that they can become anew. So I would use the example that we're dialoguing about today is the if-then dialogue is is pretty strong in my head. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the Eucharistic leadership and and dialogue is taking those old voices and when I have some of those experiences that I'm defaulting to an if-then dialogue to then try and reteach that voice to be in a because therefore um, to take some of the old thinkings that um, are probably default about God um, and give myself the freedom to rethink them um, and maybe unlearn some of the things that I thought was the way that God worked um, and give myself the opportunity to maybe relearn a new way that God can work. Hmm. Um, Those have been some things that uh, 
have been really important in this season is to give myself space to relearn what goodness can mean because with some of the devastation I've encountered, um, it's, it's necessary. Yeah. Um, it's, it's causing me to need God in a new way and therefore I need goodness in a new way. Yeah. Well, you know, it's little wonder that Jesus said we should actually Ah. literally be, you know, find ourselves, you know, in, you know, taking the bread, you know I mean? Like, it's kind of like the practice of, of, you know, mass and, and just, you know, uh, th- this act of worship like in, a, in even a church context, when you're talking about what you're talking about, it's so much more meaningful than like, I was sort of raised, uh, you know, participating in Eucharistic church because it was the first Sunday or whatever versus, you know, to hear a different voice. So thanks for that. Sarah, to reflect maybe um, just a bit further, be interesting maybe on a very practical level, um, how, how has your leadership style, you know, as you've sat with this idea of Eucharistic leadership and specifically the, the movement of, of blessing, um, how, how has that begun to move you from one of provision to one of this, this kind of blessing that you're talking about? Um. I'm not sure it fully has moved yet. Um, like I said, I feel like I'm trying to relearn some old maybe habits and defaults, but um, I'm really trying to have it have it move. Um, I think the important part of how it changes the leadership style um, for me is it really takes um, products and circumstances that maybe previously I would have filled in because of the if-then mindset, and Mm -hmm. I would have gone, well, if this is what's being created either by this person or in this community or even in my own self, you know, I could work backwards because if-then is is more occasion. But with this idea of blessing um, and even my reflecting on my own circumstances, um, I might look at something now and go, I don't know what this is created from. And so I need to ask, what is the because that was here? Mm. Um, and so how might I look at this result, which could be a then, but I want to look at it as more of a therefore, and then look at it differently. Um, mm-hmm. and it's not easy to do, um, but I can find it even in myself be a challenge, even with, you know, coworkers or how I respond um, to somebody who's engaging me. Um, to kind of take that breath and take that moment and pause um, and, and really try to see um, that space and freedom to value them in a different kind of um, a lens than, than mm-hmm. a <clears throat> Mhm. Yeah, I like that. Um, so in the midst of this, you know, very honest statement that you made uh, where you're not quite sure you're there yet. Um, as you move uh, from kind of the provisional of if then to because therefore, what what encourages you along the way to continue this path that I'm sure at times uh, does not feel easy and in fact maybe feels a little bit like a fool's errand at times. Um, I think one is the freedom to. Um experiment with this new understanding of blessed um, and be given the opportunity to kind of cultivate um, how I see or how I recognize um, the Holy, the Holy Spirit and God. Um, And the realization that this can be done in all seasons and in all circumstances. So um, it can be something that I can work on in a specific moment. um, But as uh, Larry, I think was the one who said about, you know, the Eucharist is, is kind of can be a little bit messy um, mm-hmm. and it's a process and it can take a really long time and it can be a difficult process um, and that it's not going to be sequential. Um, I think leaning into that and reminding myself of um, that I might be in a season of uh, really needing to work on what reminding myself what does it mean to be taken by this this good God but it also might be you know I'm asking that question from a place of, of brokenness. Um, mm-hmm. And that's what happened with this um, question was I had to ask what does it mean to be blessed when I was, you know, in a, in a really difficult 
um, really difficult place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I'm thinking about maybe some of the the practical things as well, um, just because I I do know you well and you are very concrete, sequential. What what would you say, for example, about the role of community uh, in this process of of having leadership that's blessed for you? Um, I think for me the biggest thing is that it, it makes community probably more important. Um, when things are awful and difficult um, or just painful, it um, can be reason to, to disconnect. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be an um, opportunity to cut people off and feel justified. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm really being challenged by the idea that um, with the idea of being blessed, and being a body of Christ, um, and that we are all experiencing um, this process, this Eucharistic leadership process, in in different ways and in different seasons, um, to lean into the community as opposed to pulling away um, is a real challenge. Um, and to even lean into my own vulnerabilities, and that's it's not been easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's almost a sense, I mean, don't you think that there's a kind of counterintuitiveness uh, to U- Eucharistic leadership uh, at, at so many levels? Um, you know, you think about this whole idea about being taken. I mean, our, our sense, if you go up to a leadership seminar or workshop, it's not about being taken. It's about, you know, possessing, right, grabbing a hold of. I mean, that's, that's our natural thought. Um, and again, in a similar kind of way, when we think about this whole notion of blessing and how it moves us out of this provisional world where um, it just seems so natural to say, well, you know, if you join my team, uh, you know, if you behave in this way, uh, if you give me this kind of respect, as you said earlier, then, and, um, you know, people would applaud that, but we see time and time again, as you have, I think, elegantly described, there's a counterintuitiveness to it. And I think your notion of community is such a huge piece of that. Um, you know, when <clears throat> difficult times show up, um, you know, I want to pull away. Uh, I want to hibernate. Uh, you know, I want to sequester myself. Uh, and the counterintuitive move um, to, to actually... Uh, kind of almost double down and, and make sure I connect uh, with, with the community that I'm called to uh, is, you know, is really critical. Are there any other which you would describe as sort of concrete things that you do to, to kind of continue to try to live out of this world of because, therefore, versus if, then? Um, I don't know that I can think of any really off the top of my head. Um, it's just such a paradigm shift, really. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's something that we, that for me, I'm still learning to be conscious of because the if-then and the transactionalness and the provisional, I mean, even as you were talking, I thought, yeah, I mean, so often I'm in places of leadership, you might be, you know, my responsibility to the community is to hold them accountable. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the if-then. Mm-hmm. But really when we think about um you know what christ asks us to do is to hold us together like Mm -hmm. be one be a body and exactly um, yep so that idea of continuing to bring the because therefore um because of god's goodness because we are a community because um i believe in these these values set forth you know that changes the the feeling of it's not transactional anymore yeah. it's a response that's and excellent so i think i'm still learning about how it is that i want to respond instead of sitting back and waiting to see if the transaction happens the way that i expect so i don't have a lot of tangibleness except for the fact that i think the tangibleness is that i'm learning to look at it for what i sh- how i should engage as opposed to sitting back um i think that's part of what i'm learning 
I think that's that's just an excellent uh, statement. And uh, you know, the the one practical thing that I was I was thinking here, uh, Sarah, as you were talking, and this is because I've seen this many times in your own life, is that implicit within community, I think, is models, uh, right? Women and men who uh, begin to emerge in our life uh, as really doing leadership in a different way. And I think because, and Rick and I have talked about this on previous podcasts around Rene Girard's thinking that at the end of the day, we're, we're all imitators, um, that how good and wonderful it is to begin to actually have models to say, oh, that's the way I think I would like to be moving forward. And, and uh, I've, I've seen you uh, do that for, for myself and others, as well as, uh, as point out models that have been very helpful for me moving forward. Yeah, you know, Sarah, I think about the fact that, you know, when Jesus did actually, you know, break the bread and bless it, and, you know, the context of that wasn't a really happy time for him, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's he knew, you know, the Bible actually indicates that, you know, he totally knew what was up, but with that knowledge, he took a towel and... You know, he washed their feet. And so I think that that I've seen that in your work, you know, and in leadership foundations that that uh, part of um, being in, you know, um, a city and and seeing it as a playground instead of a battleground is to serve um, in right in the middle of pain. You know, that that instead of uh, seeking a blessing, uh, it just, you know, push into becoming one for others. And I think that's that's kind of the model that Jesus gave us, and I see that with you. So I thank you for that. Well, Sarah, would love to uh, maybe close here with one final question. Um, again, the backdrop to this is that this is the Sidious Playground podcast. Um, you know what what uh, Rick and I have been attempting to do now here for. Um, you know, a couple of years is is bring light on this idea about what does it mean to see your city, you know, as God's playground rather than a battleground. And you know, we're we're convinced, as I know you are, that that metaphor shift uh, is really a game changer, uh, and you begin to think in a whole different way. Well, we also then happen to believe that if the city uh, is actually God's playground, that that should have some kind of practical effect on your leadership. Um, And so one of the questions that we have been wrestling with is, you know, what does leadership uh, that sees the city as a playground um, actually look like? So my question to you and your role at LF, um, from your perspective, what is Eucharistic leadership, especially being blessed, how does that play itself out in seeing cities um, move from battlegrounds to play God's playground? Um, I think this is a really challenging question. Um, but I think one of the things that I would um, preface is part of the reason that we see them as battlegrounds is because we see pain. Um, and pain is present even on the playground as well, but it's seen mm-hmm. differently. The, mm-hmm. the context is different. And so this new idea of being blessed for me, um, what it's doing is instead of, um, I think as Rick was kind of saying, instead of having to go where everything is, um, you know, all in its nice tight corners and there's not pain being expressed, you know, it's, it's clearly quote unquote in the traditional being blessed. This new idea of being blessed, this opportunity that because we're taken by this good God that we have this ability now to see holiness, to see goodness in a different way because we have been taken, um, it gives me courage to try and be present in Mm. my own devastations Mm -hmm. and then in the devastations of my neighbors. And the courage to then go there, then if God can be present and is present there, then I can seek his holiness there. And then that's the transformation of being able to see it differently from a battleground to a playground. Mm. Seeing the presence of God, intimately knowing his ultimate goodness, is now no longer dependent upon my worldly fortune. And so there will still be pain. There will still be really difficult things that we're going to encounter. But the Eucharistic leadership gives me an appreciation um, 
for those who are wanting to work and serve and transform these cities and communities. Mm. And it prompts me to learn from those who are asking to and recognizing and showing gratitude for seeing holy in all circumstances. Instead of going into communities and popping off parts of it and saying, this can't be good, mm-hmm. it's going into communities and saying, holiness is here even if the circumstances are really, really challenging and trying. Wonderful. Wonderful. Um, you know, I know that, uh, Sarah, you had made mention of, of the Romans passage, um, I think at the beginning of our podcast, and I, I thought <clears throat> in light of that, um, it might be great to read that because I think um, in so many ways uh, Paul captures um, you know exactly what uh, what you have been describing, and so Paul says this: For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Um, and I, I think uh, back to a particular moment I had, Sarah, where in a much <laughs> more uh, kind of almost somewhat comic way, I was sitting in chapel uh, at, in, young, in my young life days, and uh, a wonderful person by the name of Dr. William Pinnell got up to the pulpit, <clears throat> and he said to a bunch of young life people, who all thought, you know, they knew what the gospel was. He says, I'm going to give you the gospel today. And we were all kind of sitting back and saying, yeah, yeah. And so the, he has both hands behind his back. And the very first thing he does, is he pulls out one hand and he slams it on the pulpit and he's holding a bottle of champagne. And he says, it is celebrating life. And there's this pause. And of course, this other hand is still behind his back. And he pulls out the other hand, and he slams it on the pulpit, and he says, but to do so in the shadow of the cross. And he has a crucifix, and he says, that's the gospel. Um, celebrating life in the shadow of the cross. And I think both Paul in this Romans passage and uh, the commentary, uh, Sarah, that you've given us today on what it means to have blessed leadership as a part of, of the Eucharistic shape of leadership is, has been exactly that. So, so thank you for your time and your energy and your commitment, Sarah, to helping cities become playgrounds instead of battlegrounds. Yeah, and I'm, you bet. And on behalf of all our listeners, I want to add our thanks as well. And uh, the Cities Playground podcast is uh, available at Leadership Foundations. And uh, if you have any questions or comments, you can just send them to us at leadershipfoundations.org. And we will continue our conversation on Eucharistic leadership. Well, I guess I have to say it first before we continue our conversation on it. But anyway, thanks again, Sarah. Thanks. Okay, bye.